Chapter 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, I was once Yahweh, um, I was the one Yahweh sent to anoint you as king over his people, Israel. Now listen to what Yahweh has said. Here's what Yahweh the host says. I carefully observe, I carefully observe how the Amalekites opposed Israel along the way when Israel came up from Egypt. So go now and strike down the Amalekites. Destroy everything that they have. Don't spare them. Put them to death. Man, woman, and child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey alike. So when Israel was coming out of Egypt way back under Moses, the Amalekites were not on the list of destruction because they were not a Canaanite, Canaanite nation. But they attacked Israel undefended and without provoking and tried to attack them. And God said, as a punishment now, I'm putting the Amalekites on the list. And they're on the list of destruction. So God now comes to Saul and says, now it's time for you to completely eliminate the Amalekites and punish them for their sins. So Saul assembled the army and mustered them at Telium, and there were about 200 regiments, foot soldiers, and 10,000, 10 regiment of Judah. So now he's got a big army now. And now he's actually being obedient and obeying God and defeating the enemy. He proceeded to the city of Amalek, where he set out in an ambush of the wadi. And Saul said to the Kenites, Go on and leave. Go down from among the Amalekites, otherwise I will sweep you away with them. After all, you were kind to all the Israelites when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites withdrew from among the Amalekites. The Kenites are the family of Moses. Moses married Ruel's daughter, Zipporah. And they were Midianites. And there was a clan within the Midianites called the Kenites. And Ruel is the one who taught Moses about Yahweh and, and educated him on that. And so Ruel is the one who gave Moses advice when they came out of Egypt and he took care of him. And Moses said, God wants to reward you for your kindness to me. God is going to give you a place to live in the promised land with us. Come join us. And Ruel agrees. And Moses' father, Allah, and family came with them and lived with them. And they've been in the land here. So Saul is at least honoring that covenant with them. He's saying, move away so that you don't get attacked. So this is a good thing. So we're seeing like, okay, wait, maybe Saul has changed. Then Saul struck down the Amalekites all the way to Halavah, to Shur, which is next to the Egypt, and he captured King Agag of the Amalekites alive. But he executed all of Agag's people with the sword. However, Saul and the army spared Agag, along with the beasts of the flock, the cattle, the fatlings, and lambs, as well as everything else that was alive and was of value. They were not willing to slaughter them, but they did slaughter everything that was despised and worthless. Did he obey God? No. He did to a certain extent. You're like, wow, he's defeating the entire enemy and that kind of stuff, but he's leaving Agag alive and he's only killing the animals that he doesn't like. Selective obedience. Now, why does he keep Agag alive? To be the joker. Remember talking about this in the book of Judges. The Joker is that great warrior that you're all scared of, and one day you defeat him, so you mutilate him and humiliate him and keep him around as a trophy to remind everybody about how awesome you are because you defeated that great warrior. And that's the Joker. So he keeps Agag along, alive for his own pride, his own glory. He keeps the animals alive for his own profit. He's disobeyed God. A direct command. Then the word of Yahweh came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned away from me and has done, done what I have told him to do. Samuel became angry and he cried out Yahweh all night. Now remember, Samuel has become very close with Saul. He knows that Saul is disobedient, 
But you probably have friends that are not the most godly people and don't make the most godly decisions, but at the same time, you care about them a lot. And it hurts you when they get punished and there's consequences and you want so much from the change. And that's what Samuel feels for him. Samuel then got up early in the morning to meet Saul. But Samuel was informed that Saul had gone to Carmel. Now, this is not Mount Carmel. This is a a region called Carmel in this area right here, the city. Mount Carmel is way further north. There he was eating, setting up a monument to himself. So he goes to find Saul and finds out Saul has actually built a monument to himself. You know how many times this happened in the Bible so far? Zero. You know how many more times it's going to happen among Israelite people? Zero. The only time we ever see a monument built is when we get into like the Babylonians and stuff. And we expect it of them. But no Israel, Israelite has set a monument up to himself or ever had well after that. He has built a monument to himself. Now don't think of like a carved statue of himself like Lenin in Russia during the Cold War. It's probably just some kind of a monument, stones or something that commemorate how awesome he is and everything he's done. He is self-glorifying himself. He really hasn't accomplished that much. What is he going to brag about? When Samuel came to him, Saul said to him, May Yahweh bless you, Samuel. I have done everything that Yahweh said. And I love Samuel's response. Samuel replied, If that's the case, what is the sound of sheep in my ears and the sound of cattle that I hear? Now the word that he's hearing is saying is Shema. And Shema can mean hear, obey, or command. So Saul says, I have Shema'd, obeyed, all the Shema that God has commanded. And Samuel says, well, if that's true, then why am I Shema'ing sheep and cattle? There's a wonderful pun there. If you've really been obedient in the commands, then why do I hear the disobedience of the commands? And he's intentional wordplay there. This is the beauty of like when words have multiple meanings. You can just do all kinds of things with them. Saul said, they were, brought from, they were brought from the Amalekites and the army spared them. The army kept them, not me. And the flocks and the cattle to sacrifice to Yahweh our God. But everything else was slaughtered. It's, see, no, 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 it's okay. We didn't really disobey God. Well, technically I didn't because the army is the one who kept them alive. I didn't really have anything to do with that. But even then it's okay because we're going to actually use it to sacrifice it to God. So we're, we're not really disobeying in any kind of way. We're not, not shamaing. Verse 16, Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait a minute. Let me tell you what Yahweh said to me last night. And Saul said, Tell me. How stupid do you have to be to know that you've directly disobeyed God? The prophet standing in front of you. Everything he says comes true. The last time you disobeyed him, he reaped a judgment on you. And you're just like, Tell me, tell me. What did God say? Samuel said, This is not true. What you, um, is it not true that when you were insignificant in your own eyes, you became head of the tribes of Israel? Now that's interesting. When you were insignificant in your own eyes, who made you the king of everything? Yahweh. Now you're glorifying yourself with your own monuments and disobey the God who made you great. There's the irony. Yahweh chose you as king over Israel. And Yahweh sent you on a campaign saying, Go, exterminate those sinful Amalekites. Fight against them until you have destroyed them. Why haven't you obeyed Yahweh? Instead, you have greedily rushed upon the plunder. 
You have done what is wrong in Yahweh's estimation. That's the exact phrase of the people plundering the animals and killing them and eating them with the blood in it. They rushed upon the plunder and they slaughtered the animals and ate it. And then Samuel says, you've rushed upon the plunder for your own self. He's connecting them directly to the people and their sin that they did there. Then Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed Yahweh. I went on a campaign that Yahweh sent me on. I brought back King Agag and the Amalekites after exterminating the Amalekites. But the army took the plunder, some of the sheep and the cattle, the best of what was to be slaughtered to sacrifice to Yahweh your God in Gilgal. Did you not just hear what you just said, Saul? I did obey God, but we kept Agag and all the animals alive. But it's okay because we're going to sacrifice it. Is he getting what Saul's actually, Samuel's actually saying? Why does Samuel think he's okay? He thinks that worship will make up for disobedience. He thinks it doesn't really matter if I obey God or not. As long as I go into church and sing my heart out and have a really good communion meal, then that will make up for everything. It's like the saying where it's better to repent later than ask for permission first. Saul thinks that ritual and sacrifice and worship is what is the most important thing to God. And I guarantee you many, 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 many Christians in America think the same thing. This is why we see lots of people who are just seeing their hearts out. They feel passionate. They talk about it all the time. And you look at their life and there's no obedience. Now, none of us are completely obedient. None of us are perfect. I'm not saying that. But I mean that lack of guilt, that lack of repentance obedience that lack of acknowledging that something's not right. We all are disobedience. We're all unfaithful. But those people who are confronted with their sin and they don't feel shame, they don't feel guilt, they don't repent, and they don't seem to care. But if they go into the chapel or into worship service and they sing their heart out and they're passionate and they give it a really good Bible study reading, then somehow they're good. And that's what Saul is living. Worship is more important than obedience. Then Samuel said, and he goes into poetic mode, and this actually sounds a lot like Psalm 51, 52. Does Yahweh take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does in obedience? The implication is God desires obedience more than sacrifice. Certainly obedience is better than sacrifice. Paying attention. Shemaying is better than the fat of rams. Hearing, because that word hear means to hear and actually do it. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. Do you understand what divination is? It's consulting demons for their advice. He's saying that disobedient rebellion and disobedience is the equivalent of consulting demons. Now, what he's not talking about is when you disobey and then you feel really guilty and you repent and you try to get right with God again. He means that a rebellious disobedience, that I don't care that I disobeyed. I have no guilt. I'm not going to make things right. He just associated an unrepentant heart of disobedience with the same thing as consulting demons and talking to them. That's how evil it is in God's eyes. And presum presumption is like the evil of idolatry. Presume, um, making the assumption of what you think is right is the same as idolatry. Because what is that ultimately? ultimately? Autonomy. You're not consulting God. Well, I presume, assume that it would be okay to keep the animals alive for the purpose of sacrifice. 
It's like, but God already commanded you, and your assumption is autonomy. And autonomy is sin. Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, he has rejected you as king. What Samuel is saying here is, God does not care about your worship. He does not care about your Bible study. He does not care about your singing. He does not care about your scripture reading if there's no obedience in your life. Or, when there is disobedience, there's no repentance. In fact, when you go into church and you worship and you sing and there's unrepentant disobedience in your life, that's the same as divination, consulting with demons, idolatry. And God is not going to honor your worship. Do not think that worship covers sins. The only thing that covers sins is the atonement of repentance. And that means you have to it has to matter to you to be obedient to begin with. And when you're disobedient, it really bothers you. And you make an effort to atone. And for us, that means going to Christ and invoking the blood of Christ as our advocate. But worship is not a replacement for the cross. And music is not a replacement for confession. And Saul says, Samuel says, I don't care and he doesn't care. And because you've rejected God, this isn't disobeyed God, with, this is rebellion, rejection, the high-handed sin of screw you. That's the unforgivable sin. God has rejected you as king. You'll no longer be God's anointed. And now he's not backed by God anymore. Not only is he not consulting God, but God's not going to back, back him up. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have disobeyed what Yahweh commanded and what you said as well. For I was afraid of the army, and I followed their wishes. Now please forgive my sin. Go back with me so I can worship Yahweh. Does he get it? He finally confesses. You think, oh, that's good. He's confessing. I have sinned. I have sinned. But then he says, but the army is the one who compelled me to do this. The army is doing it. Come back so we can worship. Nowhere does he say, I was wrong. I wronged God. I hurt our relationship. Come back and forgive me so that I can have a good relationship with God. He says, I have sinned, but it was the people's fault, really. Please forgive me so I can have a really great ritual sacrifice. I really want this church service to go really smoothly. Saul has no relationship with God. He doesn't even get the significance of what Samuel has really done. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not go back with you, for you have rejected the word of Yahweh, and Yahweh has rejected you from being king over all of Israel. When Samuel turned to leave, Saul grabbed the edge of his robe and tore. Now remember, meal is the word for robe. So Hannah gave Samuel every year a little meal robe, which signified his office. And he had to get a new one every year because he was growing as a prophet of God. And that's a symbol of his status, his authority as God. So Saul, in desperation, grabs a hold of Samuel's robe and it rips. He's ripping the authority of Saul away, so to speak. That's what he's doing. He's trying. What he's doing is he's not really ripping authority away, literally. But the point is that he's undermining the authority of Samuel. He's not listening to Samuel. He's not being obedient. He's not really repenting. And by ripping Samuel's robe, it's a symbolic picture of his undermining of the authority of Samuel, which is an undermining and usurping of Yahweh's authority. But then notice the quick wit of Samuel. Samuel immediately turns into an object lesson. 
I mean, he didn't know this was going to happen. And all of a sudden he says this. A Torah, verse 28. Samuel said to him, Yahweh has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given to another of your colleagues who is better than you or a man after God's own heart. He merely turns on him and says, just like you've torn my robe from me, God has torn the kingdom from you. That's a really like quick, witty illustration. And he's given it to a man after Yahweh's own heart. What does that mean? A man who actually wants to obey God because he desires what God's heart is, his will, and a man who will actually repent when he doesn't obey God. This is the king that Yahweh wanted all along. But he had to punish Israel first with Saul. And then he says this, The ultimate king of Israel, not you, Saul, who makes monuments to himself, but the ultimate king of Israel, does not go back on his word or change his mind, for he is not a human being who changes his mind. Humans make promises and break them all the time. We sign treaties and we violate them all the time. We make covenants and we violate them and get all the time. But Yahweh is not like a human who goes back on his word. Now, this does not mean that God does not lie. That's not the point. That's too weak. The point is not a God who doesn't lie like about stealing things or whatever. The point is that when God makes covenants, no matter whether you deserve it or not, he always, always, always honors his covenant because he does not change his mind like humans do. He does not find something better later like humans do. He does not determine that it's too difficult to be involved in the covenant like humans do. God is not like a human. Covenants never get violated by him. And what covenant did he just make right now? You will no longer be king. And don't think all your begging and whining will change God's mind. Because unlike humans, he also doesn't give in to whining and manipulation. What is said is done. And that is the word of God, and nothing can stop the word of God. And then he goes on, But I have sinned. Please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Go back with me so that I may worship Yahweh your God. So Samuel followed Saul back, and, got, and Saul worshiped Yahweh. Now, all he cares about is image. Please don't let me look bad in front of the elders and the people. Go back with me. Worship with me before God. But notice it says Samuel went back, but only Saul worshiped. That would have been an awkward public performance. <laughs> Samuel just standing there with a grumpy face while Saul's going through the motions, thinking is everybody thinking okay? Then Samuel said, Bring me King Agag of the Amalekites. So Agag came to him trembling, thinking to himself, Surely death is bitter. And Samuel said, Just as you have sworn, just as your sword has left women childless, so your mother will be the most bereaved among women. Then Samuel hacked Agag to pieces there in Gilgal before Yahweh. He was willing to do the difficult thing. Then Samuel went to Ramah while Saul went up to his home at Gibeah of Saul. Until that day he died, Samuel did not see Saul again. Samuel did not, however, mourn for Saul. But Yahweh regretted that he had made Saul king over, over Israel. What does it mean to be rejected by God? The prophet, the voice of God, is no longer in Saul's life for the rest of his life. And now he has truly become a full-fledged king like all the other nations. He will still function in an official capacity on a throne as king for a while, 
because David is not old enough to be king yet. But he will no longer be God's anointed. He will no longer have God's advice, will spoken to him, guidance. He is literally an unanointed king like all the other kings of the world. He is completely on his own like all the other kings of the world. And he will lead Israel that way. And this is the punishment and this is the judgment. Saul is still king in function, but he is not God's anointed king anymore. And he no longer has God in his life. And that is just like Samson. When it says, And Samson woke up thinking, I will shake myself free as before. But he did not know that Yahweh had abandoned him. And now Saul is without Yahweh. And that is by far probably, I think, one of the most depressing statements in all of the Bible. 